um, uh, chapter 22 last week. Uh, so we're going to pick up uh, in 22 uh, verse 20. So now it came to pass after these things that it was uh, told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah has borne uh, children to your brother Nahor. Huz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother. I always get a kick out of that, Huz and Buzz. Uh, uh, so I'm going to cheat on these rather than butcher their names. I'm just going to use the first uh, letter. So K, the father of Aram, uh, C, H, P, J, and Bethuel, and Bethuel begot Rebekah. Uh, these eight uh, Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother, um, his, con- his concubine, whose name was R, also bore T, G, T, and M. So it's just this little baby mini genealogy that kind of gets stuck in here. And uh, I, there's a, you have a handout. And uh, the, uh, the whole purpose of this, the whole purpose of this is, oh, this whole thing's not showing. Uh, but the whole idea of the genealogy in here is that it's going to reveal some characters that we're going to deal with, uh, not this week, but next week. You can see here uh, Isaac has been born, and then uh, Rebecca is going to come into the picture, and uh, Uncle Laban's going to come into the picture here, and, and so is Rachel and Leah. So it was uh, uh, they put this little genealogy in there to kind of complete the, uh, the the family line, and so uh, yeah, so it's just there. Uh, We'll deal with those guys uh, starting uh, next week. So starting on Genesis 23, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Sarah lived 127 years. Uh, These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in... Uh, Hebron in the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham stood up before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me propriety for, give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, It is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight. Hear me. And meet with uh, Ephron, the son of Zoar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. Uh, 
Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, who all entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Uh, Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron Ephron answered Abraham, saying, uh, My lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. And what is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had uh, named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. In verse 17, So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham uh, as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth, before all who went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. Okay, so let's, we're going to go back to uh, verse 1, chapter 23, and we'll just kind of go through this. Uh, so starting verse 1, it says, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Hebron in the land of Canaan, and Abraham uh, came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So just for your uh, Bible trivia, uh, this is the first time that crying or weeping is mentioned in the Bible here, is uh, when Abraham's weeping for Sarah. So, you know, Sarah's God's princess, right? Princess of many, that's what he named her in in Genesis 17. And uh, uh, Peter used her to uh, illustrate example of a Christian wife. So in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Uh, huh? Yeah, I know. Let me go see if I can go back. There we go. <clears throat> it says, um, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, uh, that even if some do not obey the word, uh, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Uh, when they observe your, your chaste conduct accompanied uh, by fear. Do not let your adornment be uh, merely outward, uh, arranging the hair, wearing the gold, and putting on the fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, uh, which is very precious in the sight of God. 
for in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any, any terror. So... Um, So, uh, so he uses Sarah as an example of a godly wife, and I just want to say that in uh, uh, you know we've got submissive underlined there. Oh, there we go. Oh, then I oh, sorry I missed. Then it carries on. It says, "Husbands likewise dwell with them, understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs." Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, a little technical difficulty here. The the irony of all this is I actually, you know, I make my living programming computers. And, uh, so, uh, that's kind of the, the funny part of this. And I, every week... The cord fell out up here, so. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so let's see. Are we, did we get back up there yet? Let's see where we have to restart this little thing here. Let's try it one more time. Okay. Okay, so, uh, yeah, we basically, uh, Peter uses uh, Sarah as an example of, uh, of a Christian wife, right? So I'm just, I'm going to read this one more time just because, so I can figure out what we're doing again. Uh, it says, wives like, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Uh, I just wanted to say that sentence over and over again, actually. <laughs> that, that, that. No, actually, I'm going to talk about that word submissive here in just a second. That, but it's it fun to talk like that anyway. Yeah. That even if some uh, do not obey the word, they without a, a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. So this is talking about uh, women that are living with uh, non, non-believing men. And I think this happens more often than not. I know it happened in our house. Uh, that uh, basically, you know, saying that, hey, that by your the wives' uh, actions that their husbands can be saved is basically what this is saying here. So it says in starting in verse 2, when you observe your chaste, uh, when they observe your chaste conduct uh, accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair, wearing the gold, and putting on fine apparel. So in other words, he's saying, don't let it just be the way you look, but rather, verse 4, rather let it be uh, the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. 
For this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being uh, submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed uh, Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. And then, of course, it can't, you can't really talk about marriage with talking about husbands and wives. And so then he goes on to say, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them uh, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And the weaker vessel in this case is really just talking about the physical uh, attributes of women because in general, women are not as big and strong as men are. There are some, uh, you know, exceptions, but in general. It says, uh, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So it's basically telling husbands, you know, you need to treat your wives right or I'm not going to answer your prayers. So, um, so number one, Sarah is an example of a good Christian wife. Uh, number two, number two, I had a hard time. I wanted to talk about that word uh, submission uh, because the idea behind it is not like we would normally think dominance, submission, dominance, submission. It's not like that. Uh, it's actually uh, a military term and uh, and. Uh, And and in the military, I can speak with authority on this, I guess. I spent 20 years there. So Um, there is this element of submission that you have. You have to obey orders. There's always somebody, you know, that's over you. Uh, And uh, but the idea behind this is uh, with the with the military accompanied with that is that it's not like uh, you're being something that you're absolutely forced into. Maybe in boot camp when you're trying, when they're trying to get you, you know, acclimated to the to the military. But after that, it's an idea that uh, you know you need to take care of each other because uh, you know it's not so much about the authority, but it's the man to the left of you, the man to the right of you that that you're taking care of. And so, uh, in the this comes from the Greek language, and so this, uh, like I say, is a military term. And so, uh, for me, I came from the Navy. So, if you can imagine, uh, you have a bunch of ships that are out at sea, and of course, this is back in the ancient days. And and so, what they would do is there would be a bunch of ships, and you could be on your ship, and there could be a ship to your uh, to your starboard, and a ship to your port. You know, your right and the left, either side. And so what they would do is they would submit. This command to submit is people would line up and they would put their back against another guy's back. And so the the term where, you know, they say, I've got your back, it's actually, that's the Greek form of submission. So it's uh, it's the idea of uh, that, hey, we're kind of in this together. And, uh, and so it's not necessarily like submit woman, like a, that that sort of thing at all. Uh, the tendency that I've seen over the years is at different points in time, people, married couples, will not read the Bible and then they'll start to have some sort of a, a problem 
And then they go to the Bible, and, and it says, see, right here, you're supposed to submit to me, woman, you know, and all this sort of thing. And, and it's really kind of taken out of context, really. Uh, uh, these are verses that need to be read, uh, you know, before. <laughs> They're preventive verses, is what I'm trying to say. It's not like something that you're going to read like when you're in the in the heat of the battle, unless you're willing to humble yourself before God. But all too often, uh, that's what happens. And so I think I might have made a reference on your sheet there to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verses uh, 21 through 33. So we're not going to go there tonight uh, because we, we need to finish this Genesis, but for your own reading, and I've, for anybody that's married or thinking about getting married, these are good verses that you should just kind of read, um, preventive maintenance, if you will. Um, but, but to just give you in a nutshell, ver- number three, Ephesians five twenty one uh, through uh, thirty three, uh, husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands. I think there was even a, a book written about that, but but that's the whole gist of it. And uh, just so I can kind of beat up on the husbands a little bit, it's uh, the love that they're talking about there is it says, love your wives the way Christ loved the church, you know, and gave his life. So uh, the bar is set pretty high. And uh, normally, just from a common sense perspective, if you're, uh, treating your wife like that, it's probably going to be pretty, pretty difficult for her to, to uh, I don't know, not respect you, I guess. So, yeah, it's always a good thing. Good verses kind of should be like frequent reading for married people. Okay, so let's go back to verse 2. So uh, Sarah died in Hebron. You know, so I'm skipping over those words. <laughs> Sarah died in Hebron in the land of Canaan. So you want to remember that Canaan is the same geographical area that we know of as Israel. So when you, so just to kind of so you have an idea, because a lot of times you're reading these, um, you're reading the names of these places, and they're just some place you don't actually know where they're at. But ultimately. The land that's occupied by, by Canaan, right, the Canaanites right now, is going to become the land of Israel. Uh, so, uh, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and, and to weep for her. So Sarah was 65 when they, uh, when they left their house in the suburbs of Ur, of the Chaldees. Uh, we don't know exactly when they got married, but they've been away from her for 62 years. I'm guessing they were married for around 100 years. So, um, number four, when Sarah died, it had been 62 years since they left their hometown of Ur. So, a- after all those years together, I can imagine that Abraham was uh, devastated uh, when he died, when she died. Uh, I can't even imagine what it would be like. Uh, you know, my friend Jesse that we prayed for last week, uh, he he passed away on Saturday. And uh, my daughter called to tell me, and uh, it was a, kind of a, 
um, it was a very strange experience because I that morning I was at Costco and I was pushing a cart through Costco and I'm thinking about Jesse and I just kind of prayed God you know just have mercy on Jesse and and uh, I mean it was like noon at noon uh, my daughter called me and she told me says hey uh, Alex that's her son um, he he texted me and said Jesse passed away and. So there was this kind of awkward silence on the phone between me and my daughter. And, and then so finally she broke it and she goes, I don't know what to say, you know. And I I told her, you know, I don't know what to say either. And then uh, after a little bit I said, you know, he's with God now. And she goes, yeah, and you know, we kind of hung up. And uh, after we hung up, it's kind of the whole grief thing, you know, all the memories just started flooding into my brain because, uh, you know, I knew Jesse fairly well. You know, he, our kids kind of grew up together, played together. You know, we, we studied the Bible together, had home fellowships. Uh, when I got sick, I was in the hospital. He worked at the hospital. He's the one that called Jane. And just, uh, it was a very, uh, it's a very, uh, it's a very hard time, you know. And, um, you know, it's grieving is normal, but um, grieving when you're a believer is is different uh, than if you're a non-believer. It just is. So, um, and Paul talks about it in First Thessalonians chapter 4. So this is actually the cha- uh, part of the Bible where they talk about the rapture. We're not going to get into the whole rapture thing, but but he does touch on the difference, really, between believers and non-believers. And he says, uh, but I don't want you to be uh, ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Of course, in the Bible, falling asleep, that's the term that he uses that most people would say when you died. Uh, but... Uh, in reality, you haven't died. Your spirit has lived on, so he refers to it as falling asleep. He says, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So, number five, grieving for believers is different than non-believers because we have hope. So we're going to talk about that hope in a second. So then verse 3, back in Genesis, it says, Then Abraham stood up before his dead, and he spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So in verse 4, you know, we've got an underline there. He says, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. And this is really what I call timeless truth for all of God's people. Uh, So in Philippians, whoops, man, this thing is really touchy. In Philippians, it says, uh, for our citizenship is in heaven, 
from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that we may be conformed to his glorious body according to the workings by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. And so it's so to relate this to us, you know, just like Abraham was a foreigner and a visitor in Canaan, uh, we may live here, but our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, so we have something specifically in common with him. And actually, there are several places that God reminds us of this. Uh, in First Corinthians, or excuse me, Second Corinthians. Uh, excuse me, oh, this thing is jumping ahead on me. Second Corinthians uh, five one. It says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so, and here in Corinthians, Paul's reminding us, calling our bodies a tent. So basically, when it's destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, and it's eternal. It's forever. So, in, and then Second Timothy, um, and Second Timothy, Paul's uh, he's ending. He's coming to the end of his life, and so he's writing this to uh, Timothy. Second Timothy four six through eight. He says, "For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering." Uh, at the time of my ter- and the time of my departure is at hand. Um, here again, he's using a military term there when he says, uh, "My departure is at hand." It was actually a term that they would use to say when the army was getting ready to tear down their tents and pack up and move. Uh, that's the actual word they were going to do, and it kind of uh, it kind of bears out if what follows it. He says in verse seven, "I have." I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Uh, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not, only, not, not to me only, but also to all that have loved his appearing. That would be us. So... Um, and then finally, in John 14, it says, Jesus, uh, I'm talking to his disciples here. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Uh, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So all those to answer number seven, our hope is in heaven. So it goes back to Abraham saying, you know, hey, I'm a stranger here. This is not my place. And that's how he starts out his uh, request to get a grave for his wife, a tomb.
So in Genesis 23, starting at verse 5, And the sons of Heth uh, answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place that you may bury your dead. So in verse 6, they call him a mighty prince. And when you, uh, when you look at in the Hebrew, uh, it's actually a, a prince of God. Okay, so Abraham, remember last week we talked uh, with Abimelech. There a change had happened in, in Abraham. And these guys have seen it too. And, you know, and they recognize that, you know, through the miracle birth of his son and just, I think, through his actions that, uh, you know, they're calling him the mighty prince or the prince of God. They realize that Abraham is uh, uh, totally with God. And so he had the, the respect of the locals, and and they all offered him a burial place. Uh, he's an example of how we are to act in the world. So um, Abraham, you know, he's been walking with God for a long time now. And so in First Peter uh, chapter 2, <clears throat> starting in verse 11, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so Peter's talking about the, the exact same thing here. Like he's, he's exhorting people to basically act the way that Abraham was acting. And he's, it actually is your sojourners and pilgrims. In other words, when you're in these places that really isn't your land, and that's the case of Abraham, he uses the exact same thing. And so in verse 8, I mean, excuse me, number 8, it says the way we live our lives should glorify God. And um, Paul talks about this in First uh, Thessalonians. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 9. It says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need uh, that I should write to you, for you, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. So uh, let's fill in the blanks on number nine there were to love one another lead a quiet life mind your own business work with your own hands and then the result of that the result is that you may walk properly toward those who are outside 
So basically saying that if you do all that, and then you're going to have a good witness to people outside the church. And basically, what he's talking about is what Abraham was doing uh, back here. And then, and then the, the thing that's really nice, he says, he says that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. And so I think certainly that was the case with uh, Abraham in terms of, you know, I don't know, I think at this point in his life he's not lacking in spiritual or, uh, or material things, either one. So, uh, yeah. So starting in verse 7, Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And they spoke with him, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zoar, for me, that he may give me a cave of may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price as property for a burial place among you. Uh, so Abraham had already scouted the area out. He knew exactly what he wanted. And uh, he knew it belonged to Ephraim, and he is willing to pay the full price. And, you know, he's kind of laying out there ahead of time. You know, hey, I'm willing to pay full price for this which is kind of counter to the way, you, you know, normally there's some sort of negotiation going on, but not the case here. I think Abraham wanted to take care of his wife at this point. That was number one on him, and he didn't really care about the cost. So in verse uh, 10, Now Ephron dwelt amongst the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the son, sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of the city, saying, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. And so in verse 10, uh, uh, they're talking about uh, it took place at the gate of the city. And so in the ancient cities, this gate sort of acted like what we would call maybe a city hall or something like that. Uh, there was all kinds of official business, that's where it took place. In verse 11, Ephron offers to give the cave that, and includes the field that's with it. Um, uh, the offer to give it to Abraham really, uh, the best I can tell, wasn't actually an offer to give the property away. It was a, it was a typical way to begin a negotiation. So in, in verse 12, Abraham counters and he says, then Abraham... Uh, bowed himself before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me, and I will give you money for the field. Uh, take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered, Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, my Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels, 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? You know, I was trying to figure out how much he actually paid, um, and it's very difficult. It's uh, almost impossible. Uh, 
I read some one place, the closest you could get to it is they said a shekel was worth four to eight days worth of work. So then, you know, how much did the guy get paid, whatever. But uh, About 10 pounds? 10 pounds of silver? That's quite a bit. Uh, says, and then he says, what's that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, uh, which he had named at the hearing of the sons of Eth, Heth, 400 shekels of silver, the currency of the merchants. I thought this, this next part was kind of interesting because they actually had a, a, like a, a set-up currency and everything. And then we read on, it says, So the field of Ephron which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham. So there was some sort of a legal document that went across here. Um, uh, They were, where am I at, 18 to Abraham, as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. So it's kind of like that city hall. They got all these witnesses, and they sign off. After this, Abraham buried uh, Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. So um, the chapter is really kind of Abraham's testimony. That's what I, the title I put on it. I just want to go through a few things. In verse 4, he made the decision to bury Sarah in the promised land. Uh, It's customary in those days that you would go back to the place where you were born and that's where you would bury your dead. But Abraham is working off the promises of God here, even though they didn't have the land. Uh, as a matter of fact, when this whole thing is over, even when Abraham dies, the only thing he had out of that land was this cave and the field in front of it that that he had to use to bury his dead. And then Isaac ends up getting buried there, Jacob, a few other people. It's actually a, a big cave, a double cave. So anyway, but he made the decision, so he stepped out in faith and said, you know, God, even though I don't have the land now, God's going to get me the land, so I'm going to take it. Uh, In verse 6, he was viewed as the prince with God, okay? In other words, he had a testimony that the guys there realized that Abraham had a God, and uh, he was a great God, and Abraham was, like, devoted to them. And so... That's what they called him, the prince with God. I mean, uh, in verse 6 again, uh, all of them were willing to help. Every one of them said, hey, we can do this. We can help you out with this to get a, a tomb for your, for your wife. And uh, uh, Abraham uh, bowed before the people in verse 7. You know, he was a humble guy. You know, he could have said, you know, I've s- spoken to, you know, Lord God Almighty, he has told me that this is my land. 
he didn't do anything like that. He just kind of, kind of went in and and um, coexisted with the people in the land and wasn't, uh, you know, hmm, what's the word I'm looking for? Holier than thou. Uh, so, verse nine, he agreed to pay the full price in advance. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, typically, that's not the way a real estate deal does. You don't walk up and say, "Hey, I want to buy your house, and I'll pay you whatever you're going to ask for it." You know, it's just. But I think he trusted God in the fact that, you know, that God was going to take care of that. And verse twelve, uh, he bowed down before the people again. There, so. It, I mean, it's in there twice, you know. So uh, Abraham was, uh, he was uh, showing respect for the people in the land. Uh, And then he ultimately purchased the land in the cave. And then he buried Sarah. So that's, I mean, in a nutshell, when you look at the chapter, and on one way, there's not a whole lot there, but on another way, there's all kinds of stuff there. Um, uh, Hebrews 11, uh, 9 and 10, uh, it, it sort of sums up uh, Abraham. He says, By faith he dwelled in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, uh, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So I know at the end of his life for sure that God had kept so many promises to him that, uh, you know, he was just at peace with everything, knowing that God was going to keep his promises. And uh, so so the one last verse and we'll be done. This is in uh, Romans. And it talks about why we even bother reading this stuff. And it says, uh, starting in chapter 15, uh, verses 4 through 6, it says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures uh, might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you uh, to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So hopefully we could uh, take some of this stuff that we learned about uh, Abraham and uh, the New Testament scriptures that kind of describe what Abraham was doing and um, just take those out with us uh, this week as we finish off the week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the life of uh, Abraham and uh, just thank you that it's laid out that we could see uh, what an awesome God you really are and and um, you started with Abraham and Things weren't that good, and Lord, we just see you are faithful over and over and over again. Father, we just thank you for the encouragement that we get from the scriptures, and Lord, I just pray that it would uh, uh, touch our hearts and affect the way we live our lives. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.